We are all disciples, followers, learners, students of something or someone. Always learning, listening, and wanting to either be taught by others or teach others. Jesus calls his followers to be disciples of him above all else and to invite others into his way to make disciples that make disciples. Well, hey, I'm Steve. Welcome to Grace Church. I don't know. So, hey, I'm still here. Um, there's a bumper and that happened. So, man, how exciting. I, I just want to talk about that forever, and we could. But uh, we're going to introduce a new series today. Anyway, it's instead. So, I'm um, glad you're here and glad that we're starting this new series. It's called Disciples of Something. So, we'll shift gears here a little bit to this series. But before we do that, um, I actually want to... Um, mentioned something that you may or may not know about Grace Church. And so Grace Church here, we have uh, something that we call missional values. And so maybe you've seen these missional values before. And these missional values are kind of scattered um, throughout everything that we do, especially like in our teaching series. And so we, we say we want to know it, live it, and give it away. And so basically, we're saying we want to be people that it being the gospel. We want to be people that know the gospel, live the gospel, and give the gospel away. And so we would love for that to be part of um, the heartbeat of our church. We feel like that's how Jesus has called us to, to operate. And so that's what we're about. And we even have like signage of that in our building. Has anybody seen like those big metal signs in our building? Uh, just me? Okay. It's like been there for a while. You might have just passed by it. Here, I'll show you. I actually found this picture of, of them. And uh, <laughs> this was in 2014. And uh, this is what you do when you're an intern. So uh, that happened. And um, now you'll never look at those signs the same again. And so you're welcome. And so why not? You know, have fun. So anyways, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise, right? Uh, so these missional values, they're intentionally throughout all of our teaching series. And if you recall, um, a couple series ago, we um, took a whole bunch of time to know the gospel through hearing about the Sermon on the Mount. And then last week, we finished up a series that's basically how to live the gospel through the Holy Spirit. And so that happened. And then this weekend, we're starting on how to li- uh, give the gospel away. And we're, we're going to do that in an interesting way. We're going to do that by saying that, hey, it's about disciple making. And it's about wondering and pondering, like, what are we disciples of? And so here's the premise of this series. It was said in the bumper, but if you didn't catch it, it's this, that we are all disciples, followers, learners, students of something or someone, always learning, listening, and wanting to either be taught by others or teach others. Jesus calls his followers to be disciples of him above all else and to invite others into his ways to make disciples that make disciples. So that's the premise of this series. And this statement, I don't know if it does it for you, but it really resonates with me today. And even as I reflect on myself before coming to know Jesus, looking back now, before I, um, before I knew Jesus, I remember being kind of willing, open to, and being discipled by almost anything. And whatever that new thing came to be, that would be the thing that I would share with others. That would be the thing that I would base my decisions on. That would be the thing or the things that I would assume my identity in. And so I would go, I would easily go from like friend group to friend group, seeking whatever felt right, doing whatever that particular group of people were doing, changing myself to fit in, all while trying to just find my place and answers to whatever life questions I had at the time. So I would go from job to job, inevitably attributing meaning for my life from it. 
I would even pull meaning from like the shows or books or movies that I consumed. I recall rewatching this movie called Donnie Dargo. Maybe you've heard of it. And at, at, at the same time, somebody was sharing Jesus with me. And I thought I was so clever because I was like, uh, that movie introduced me to the term agnosticism. And I was like, that's the thing that I'm going to base my life on, this uh, random indie movie and this thing called agnosticism. And I'm so like, that's what I'm going to base my life on. And so... A little ways after that, having heard about Jesus at, in August 10th, 2011, I met Jesus and I met his teachings and his way of life. And so I started to follow after him, started engaging in, with his people, being discipled by what I came to know as truth, and then wanting to disciple other people as well, wanting to share that truth with others. The thing is, I'd been in that place before, though. I had been passionately following other things before and studied under other things before. And I even remember my brother at one point talking to one of my friends saying, oh yeah, Steve, he's just into that Jesus thing now, but he'll, he'll grow out of it. He'll change. That's what he does. He goes from group, he just changes his meaning of life and things like that. So I remember my brother saying that. But those things never changed. <laughs> those things that used to disciple me or that I sought after for, um, to teach me and to show me what life was all about, um, I never looked at those the same um, before I knew Je- uh, after I knew Jesus. And so I no longer sought after those things for the same reasons. Instead, I was still maybe part of those things and part of those friend groups, but instead I was compelled to share Jesus with them from that point forward as I was discipling under Jesus. And so... When you disciple under Jesus, you no longer need to look to things outside of Jesus, outside of his word, to find your identity, your belonging, or meaning, or truth. God has given that to you. He's like, look, I'm your creator. This is the way. Instead, you now look at those things, those people groups, or those things that we, uh, those groups that we might be part of, and we say, man, there are people that are being discipled by this other thing. There are people that are putting their identity in these fleeting things. And I'm just compelled to share with you the gospel now through those things. So that's the heart of the series. And maybe the two questions that we can try to answer for ourselves throughout this five-week series is, what is actually discipling you? Just to think about it. What are the things that are discipling you? What are the things that are teaching you? What are the things you're putting your foundation on and being apprenticing under? And then what are you discipling others into? Likely, those are connected. Likely, the thing that is teaching us the most, we're going to be teaching others the most. So what's discipling you, and what are you discipling others into? And if you're here and you're like, well, I'm not really a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Maybe I'm just following, or uh, maybe someone invited you to church here, or whatever, um, and you're just dipping into following after Jesus. The thing is that for many of us, it's not uncommon to be attracted to different groups, people that are leading to various movements or types of idealism toward something, and for a lot of us, we're, if we're honest, we're trying to find our identity, our meaning, fulfillment in something. And so it makes sense then that a recent study shows that more than 1.8 billion people use Facebook groups every month. And it's superficial. It's a recent study. I don't remember. I, I think you just Google it and you'll see it. But um, yeah, I found this and I was like, man, more than 1.8 billion people use Facebook groups every month. It makes sense. Like people are attracted to different groups. People are trying to find meaning in different social spheres and things like that. And likely that 1.8 billion is probably some of us here in this room. And so just to think for a second, what are those groups, those voices that cry out and fight for our attention, that seek to assume our belonging and our identity? So we join different groups and hobbies and clubs and worldview promoters and people to kind of find the way or ways to live our lives. And we even jump from faith group to faith group, church to church to do that. 
Now, I don't think that's all a bad thing, okay? I don't want you to th- like hear me saying like I'm some old grump like saying groups are bad, like sports groups, this and that, those things are bad. I don't think they're bad. <laughs> In fact, I'm part of various groups myself. I help, uh, although I'm decidedly not on Facebook, and so that's really helpful, but uh, I help lead a video game ministry. I follow different gaming groups. I'm into technology. I follow different podcasters and YouTubers, and I do all that stuff, even outside of the teachings of Jesus. So I'm not saying that's all bad, but the thing that changed for me when I became a disciple of Jesus was that now for me, I'm able to use those things to share Jesus with others, and I'm compelled to do so. So take a moment, even now, to evaluate what groups you're part of, what messages we take in, and ideas that we subscribe to, and ask yourselves for real, like, are those things becoming our gospel? Are they discipling us over Jesus? And oftentimes, that's not an easy yes or no answer. Think about it this way. When you are in times of, like, crisis or uncertainty— who or what do you go to for advice right away? Who or what do you go to for clarity, for hope, and things like that? And when it comes to what to do with your money, tips on parenting, how to grow your business, how to whatever the thing might be, where do you go to first and foremost? And then how do you lead others to that same conclusion, to those same answers? Likely, whatever that thing is, that group, the person, the worldview, likely that's the thing that is discipling you the most. And for, us that are, for those that are followers of Jesus, is that Jesus? Is that his teaching? Is it his ways or is it something completely different? Something to consider. So now, let me just show you where we're going with this today because it might seem like a lot and it probably is, but we'll be reading like basically two chapters of 2 Timothy. So I'm really excited about that. And so some of you might need to go up and get coffee and I understand, but it won't be that bad. So we're gonna read basically chapters three and four of 2 Timothy, almost the whole thing. So if you don't have a Bible, today's a good time to have one. I would encourage you to grab one. They're underneath your seats. Of course, you can go there digitally as well. But I'd love for you to go to 2 Timothy, and we'll start with chapter 3. So while you're working your way there, and maybe even grabbing that refill of coffee, Paul is writing this letter. It's his second letter to his disciple Timothy. And so Paul is in prison in Rome. People have abandoned Paul, and even more drastically, people have abandoned the truth of the gospel for other truths. And Paul is certain that his death is soon. It's near. And so he's writing this personal letter as a way of encouraging his disciple Timothy and to encourage others that are discipling under Jesus to stay in the faith, to be true to the gospel, and to hand that gospel off to other people as well. So if you're there, I'm going to provide you with actually just a basic outline of where we're headed to, because I think we'll find some really interesting ways to summarize some of what Paul is saying here. So when we read um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 9, we'll see this, that we tend to do things our own way. Humans, that's what we do. We tend to do things our own way. We like to do things our own way. And then 10 through 16, but we should trust Jesus and his word. And then 4, 1 through 8, it's actually 1 through 5 now. I shrunk it a little bit. Um, and we're supposed to make disciples of Jesus. Okay, so with that, that's like a usable sentence, Okay. And if we, if we leave this place and this is all we remember, then I think we'll be okay. And this is that, that we tend to do things our own way, but we should trust Jesus and make disciples of Jesus. And I think it's that simple, but yet that hard. And so let's get in here. Let's see what the Bible has to say and read it here. So I'll just have the, the, the place that we're at up on the screen. It's too much to put on the screen, so I'm just going to read from my own Bible here. All right, Paul says, but mark this, 
There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. They will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Okay, it's pretty intense. Let's back up. Let's pause on a few things I want to point out to you here. And especially this first part here, where it says the last days. So Paul goes on to say right off there that in the last days, people will be these things. Lovers of themselves, of money, proud, abusive, ungrateful, unholy, disobedient to their parents, rash, all of these things. And I don't know about you, but I'm actually part of this list too. And that's really terrifying. I'm part of this list. And it would seem that the last days started when my children were old enough to speak. And so what's that all about? Well, what does Paul mean by the last days? Uh, we could argue about stuff like that, but I think it's quite simple, actually. I think it just, from, from what Paul's saying, it means, hey, this is from the time that Jesus came to the time that Jesus is coming back are like those last days. So chronologically, are we, um, are, are we there? Yeah, probably. Probably makes sense chronologically. But the reality is that these things that are analogous to the last days have really been around since the fall, since Genesis 3. And they pervade us even today. And so Paul says, this is what happened. And here's the thing. The way of Jesus includes nothing on this list. So when we come under the teaching and practices of Jesus, these things are not modeled to us or taught to us as something that is normative of the disciple of Jesus. But it's not there. You won't see Jesus teaching or modeling or having us practice these things. With that, this might even be a helpful list to refer back to as we read various authors, as we subscribe to different groups and ways of thinking and living. If there are hints of these things, then it's probably not pointing us to the gospel truth, not pointing us to the way of Jesus. And we'll look specifically at these last two, being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness but denying its power. These are very interesting to me. So since coming to know Jesus, I've almost always had somebody discipling me, building into me, teaching me the scriptures and the way to follow Jesus from their perspective and all that. And then very shortly after that, I've been discipling others as well. And so I've spent years investing in others at this point and discipling them and trying to show people the way to follow after Jesus imperfectly because I'm imperfect. And man, seemingly a lot of these people follow after Jesus, but eventually I've had a few people that I've discipled that have renounced Jesus. And I always ask myself, like, what happened? Like, what happened? Did I not teach them the way? And you kind of internalize that. But here's what I found. I found that most often it's because of these things. 
It's because they have become lovers of pleasure. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Because they've become or wanted a form of godliness, but they never actually knew or had a relationship with Jesus. Maybe they enjoyed some of the community, the morals, the feel-goods they got emotionally from the people of faith in Jesus. But when it came down to surrendering themselves to Jesus, to denying some of their destructive pleasures and desires to slander others or to be loose with self-control or some of those things, they found other teachings, other ways of living life that would glorify these desires for them. That's what I found. And so what does Paul say to that? Kind of harsh. Paul says, have nothing to do with such people. So what's that about? Paul is like, have nothing to do with these people. And I think that, that sounds a bit harsh right off the bat, but I don't think what Paul is saying is this. I don't think he's saying never ever associate with these people, come to know Jesus, and then kind of like get in your Jesus group and like be done with the whole world, right? I don't think that's what Paul is saying. In fact, if that was true, then we should probably all live by the rule of like social distancing and just kind of distance ourselves from everyone. Because if you're like me, then I am part of that list too. So I don't think, think that Paul is saying, be, be a Christian, be a follower of Jesus and like shun everything else out. Instead, I think what Paul is saying here is just don't engage in those things. You don't have to engage in those things. So no doubt, we are trying to reach and make disciples of these kinds of people. We are, I am those kinds of people. But we don't have to engage in those kinds of practices. But admittedly, that is tough to do. See, it's in those moments when we're with that group uh, or we're with those friends and we know we shouldn't join in on being rash. We know we shouldn't join in on um, losing our self-control or slandering like, they, like others are due. And we do it anyways because we're like, man, if I just fit in, then maybe I'll be able to be close and share the gospel. Sometimes we think that way. Well, if that's the case, then they're hearing the wrong gospel. There are other ways to fit in that don't compromise the gospel. We can still fit into these things and still show the way of Jesus. So being a disciple of Jesus means practicing his way, even in that friend group, even in those circumstances even and especially in with your family and those that are close to you. And that's hard to do. And Paul, he goes on, goes on to say that these people are always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, of the actual truth. So this is maybe a scary thought for some of us listening. Um, we should just think about that. Like, are you, am I like someone that is always interested in learning and acquiring details about faith? facts about Jesus, data on the community of Jesus, but maybe you haven't yet come to the knowledge of the truth for yourself on who Jesus is. And know that, man, he didn't just come here as a good teacher, but he died for you. And he didn't just die, he rose again. So you can see his way of life and show you how to really be human, the way that your creator God has showed us to do that. And so, do we have that desire? Do we have that relationship to say, God, yeah, I want you to be Lord of my life for the benefit of my life. It's interesting, Paul uh, links these ideas to uh, these people named Janus and Jambres, who, um, I have a picture of them, by the way, and so that was on Google, so there you go. Um, Janus and Jambres, and if you're like, what's going on? Well, I'll tell you. Um, Janus and Jam Jam Jambres, I can't say it anymore, who as, tradi as Jewish tradition be uh, believes, these were two of the sorcerers or magicians that opposed Moses and Aaron in Exodus 7, okay? So if you're not up to speed with your Old Testament, that's okay. Basically, there was this throwdown that happened between God's true chosen people that were enslaved in Egypt by Pharaoh, the enslaver, who thought himself to be God. 
And so what happens is um, there was plagues that came and God was like, hey, Moses and Aaron, go. You're going to tell them that you're God by turning your staffs into serpents. And so God was like, you're going to do that and that's going to be a miraculous thing and everyone's going to know that you're from God and who God is. So Moses and Aaron, they do that. They turn their staffs into serpents. And then Pharaoh sends these magicians. And it turns out these magicians were able to do the same thing. And so these guys are probably wondering, like, well, what the heck? Like, God, you just told us to, like, make the sign. These other guys who aren't following you did the sign. What do we do? And then it tells us that Aaron's staffs that turned serpents swallowed up and ate the other guy's serpent. So it's like, whoa, okay, God, you're pretty cool. So, like, God showed himself, like, in that way, Right? And so that's how tradition shows it. So he's linking these things. Paul's linking these things to these magicians. What else we know about the, um, from Jewish tradition is that these magicians, these sorcerers, they kind of stayed and lingered around with God's people because they, they were just like, man, we're just going to follow after these people. We're going to try to um, lead these people astray to their own desires in their own way. And we're told that they lingered around God's people. And it's very likely that people followed some of them instead because they saw like, well, these guys, they could do God things too. Like that's God stuff. Maybe they missed the part where their serpents got eaten and God was like revealing himself that way. But I think tradition shows that like, yeah, they led a bunch of people astray. They led people into their own selfish desires. They led people into false idol worship. So you gotta ask the question, like how did these people become deceived? Didn't they see this stuff happen? I think it's easy to think that some people have a form of godliness, but, and, and maybe they're even able to do God stuff or talk God stuff, but they're actually just phonies and, and deceivers, de- deceiving themselves and deceiving others. Maybe they like the idea of following God, but they're not truly committed to God. And it's likely because of that some of God's people missed it and were swayed and followed these guys instead. So that's what Paul is linking. Okay, let's keep going. I've got some more to read here. So 2 Timothy 3, 10, verse 10. After all of that, Paul goes on to say, you, however, verse 10 of chapter three, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, so again, we'll pause here and and point out a few things. So after all that, Paul says, you, however, you, Timothy, my disciple, and other disciples of Jesus, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, purpose, faith, these things. You know that. Paul's saying, that other list that we just talked about, you didn't learn any of that list from me, at least not when I was at my best following after Jesus, although I'm sure he had his bad days, just like we all do. But you did learn these things from me. 
And so what do we know about Paul in these things? Well, we know about his teaching. We know that Paul went from, uh, his, actually his name was Saul until Jesus got to him. And he, when he was Saul, he used to teach to destroy and to kill and to imprison Christians and to destroy their idealism, to, make, to now making up most of the New Testament and teaching the way of Jesus instead, to making disciples of Jesus. So we know about his teaching and how that transformed and changed when he became a disciple of Jesus. We know about his way of life. His entire life went literally from being blind to having sight, spiritually and physically. When Jesus met Saul, he was blinded for a few days, given a new name, and then he, when he recovered his vision, he had a new vision for the gospel and to reach people for the gospel, for that truth. So we know a little bit about his way of life and these things. We know about his purpose. Galatians 1.16 says that, or, or shows us that Paul believed his purpose on this earth. The reason that Jesus got with him, got to him and shared with him his way was to preach the gospel. And not just to preach the gospel to anyone, although that's true, but to preach the gospel to those that don't know Jesus. That was his purpose. He knew it. He knew it clearly. And furthermore, Paul often spoke on love, faith, and hope. And I don't know what that was, but hopefully that doesn't pop again. But Paul often spoke on love, faith, and hope and his own sufferings and persecutions that came from sharing Jesus. And so he suffered for that. God called him to do it, but he still suffered for it. And so he shared those things with us. Yet he can also speak of the times that Jesus rescued him. When he first rescued him and he became a follower of Jesus and other times where he was shipwrecked and all these things, he says, man, God has rescued me from all of that. And so we've seen that modeled to us. And so we know a little bit about Paul and how he modeled a life of discipleship, a life of following after Jesus and making disciples of Jesus. And he says then to Timothy, and he says to us, to those that would follow after Jesus, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know, because you know a couple things. You know this. You know those whom you learned it. So Paul goes on to say that you know those that you learned the gospel from. Basically, you know and trust the people that have passed down this message of the gospel to you, and you found and known that his way is worthy of your discipleship, that Jesus is worthy of your everything, and you've seen that. That was passed down to you. And by the way, this is, that's discipleship. That's disciple-making. This was Jesus' method after all. This is the heart of disciple-making, that Jesus passed down his way of life, his teaching to ordinary men and women like us to then pass it along imperfectly but guided by the Holy Spirit to other people, okay? And so there was no big program. doesn't seem like Jesus put on a big program, discipleship program, or some big event to do that. He legit just invested in people, invested his life into a few that would invest their life into a few that would invest their life into a few and grow the truth, of, uh, grow his message and his movement that way. It's like Robert E. Coleman says in his book, Master Plan of Evangelism. We've used this quote before. It's really good. If you're looking for a short read, I would get that book, Master Plan of Evangelism. But he says this, his concern, Jesus' concern, was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. Remarkable as it may seem, Jesus started to gather these men before he ever organized an evangelistic campaign or even preached a sermon in public. Men were to be his method of winning the world to God. So what's God's method of teaching others about himself? It's men and women. 
It's you and me. It's not being on a stage, though. I guess that could be helpful. It's not uh, these programs that we like to do. Though those things can be helpful, but it's you and me as individuals sharing life with others, teaching the ways of Jesus, letting that actually show up because we're being discipled by him to others. So Paul says that. He says, as for you, continue what you've learned and become convinced of because you know those whom you've learned it and because you know the Holy Scriptures. Because you know the Holy Scriptures. Paul specifies that your discipleship ought to be centered around, be foundation on the, the wisdom of the scriptures that is good to lead you to salvation, to lead you to right relationship with God and others. And so it's the Bible. It's the very words of God. There's nothing else like it that can compare. In fact, that's what holy means. It means set apart. It's different. There's something different when we read God's word compared to other things. But if you're like me, we like to compare other books, even Christian books, uh, to the scriptures, which can be helpful, but I think a lot of times is probably not helpful in some cases. But the question for us is, is our discipleship centered around God's word? Is it, a centered, around, is it centered around something else? Where do we go to hear when we, when we want to hear from God, aside from prayer? Where do you and your friends or family go to for lessons on money, parenting, discovering God's will, things like this. It's amazing. I find myself drifting from this all the time. My wife Maggie and I will get in a new situation with our kids, for example, uh, where I'm like, I have no idea how to be a godly father to you right now in this moment. I need help, okay? And often, if I'm honest, my first thought is not to go to the scripture. My first thought oftentimes is to look up the popular podcast to buy the new book that, let's be honest, I'm not gonna read. I just buy books and don't read them. Maybe that's a me problem. But I find myself desperately looking for resources, even though I know the resource that God has given to us. And I'm not saying resources are bad, okay? Don't hear me saying like, throw your books away, they're bad. Like, not that vibe, okay? But I'm just saying, man, where do we go to first and foremost? What is the thing discipling us, dictating those things, foundational for us? Because it says the Bible is good for what? for equipping me, for equipping the worker, the servant of God to do anything. So I often want the answer. The problem is I often, if I'm honest, (laughs) I often want the answer now. And I know that the Bible is long and it's hard to read and it doesn't always give me the answers that I want. But I know it's gonna give me the answers I need. I know it's the thing that should uh, be my go-to for my life and what I'm discipling under. So I desire so strongly to to, to be in, in a concert with Paul here and say, man, I want to let the word of God through the Bible be my foundation, be the voice above all the other voices fighting for my attention. And then supplement with other things as appropriate. Okay, last section here. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 5 says this. After having said all that, Paul says, now, in the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. 
But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Okay, so see what Paul is doing here. He's saying, because God chose Jesus to live for us, to die for us, to be raised again for us, to give us life in him, because he's the one that's coming back and inviting people into his kingdom, because of all that, Paul is boldly able to say and to charge us with these things. He says, I give you this charge, not just to his disciple Timothy, but for all that would want to disciple under Jesus. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared to do that in season and out of season and correct, rebuke, and encourage. And sometimes we leave out this part. We gotta do it with great patience and careful instruction. This is the charge. This is the charge to every follower and disciple of Jesus. Now, think of this with me for a second. What is that one topic that if you were asked about, you can't stop talking about? Maybe for some of you, it's sports, okay? The Falkenbergs, they're talking about sports, and a lot of us who are out about that, right? That's good. I don't know anything about sports, okay? I can't talk to sports at all. Some of you are laughing because you're like, I know that. And so uh, plenty of you can, but I can't. Um, however, uh, a few weeks ago in, in my life group, Funny share, I, yeah, you'll just hear the story. So uh, <laughs> a few weeks ago in my life group, um, we finished discussion. I'm over getting coffee, getting a refill of coffee. There's like conversations in the background and I, I don't hear what's going on. But as I get my coffee, I turn over to this discussion. All I hear mid-sentence was, hey, what are you going to do with Chubb this weekend? And I was like, guys, I desperately just need some context of what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. And it turns out that's a football player's last name. And so I just made everything awkward for everyone, as I always do. And so that was like, yeah, all I have to say, I can't talk about sports. But there are things that I can't shut up about. There are things that I love to talk about, that I'm studied on, that I'm passionate about. We can talk about Apple all day. We can do things like that, right? For many people, though, myself including at times, Many people that are claiming to be disciples of Jesus were often hesitant to talk about, to share, to preach the good news, the gospel, to preach his word to others. Yet we can go on about football, we can go on about video games, we can go on about yoga, homeschooling, whatever your thing is, whatever your topic of choice. Maybe that's something we can think about. Um, maybe we just need simply reminded of the things that Jesus has rescued us from, Let's be reminded of how wonderful his love is, his word is. Let's let the gospel be the thing that we cannot stop talking about. What better thing is there to attain to than to know that the God who created all this in us loves us and wants relationship with us? Don't you want to talk about that? There's no higher thing to attain to than that. And it's not only a charge given to us, I think, by Jesus and definitely by Paul here, but it should come out from a deep relationship that you have with the Father through Jesus, to where the Spirit is compelling you to say more about your faith, to show people your discipleship, and to disciple other people into that. And that's disciple-making, and it's almost that easy. <laughs> it's almost that easy. But, but there's a problem. There's another problem. First, it's us. We get in the way. But also, Paul says this, the time's going to come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. They're not going to care about the truth that you're teaching them or preaching them or your way of life. They're going to instead suit their own desires. That makes sense. I love my own desires. I want to do my own thing. People are going to, there's going to be a time where people will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear and turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. 
So we look at this kind of stuff and we think about, man, it's hard to disciple people. It's hard to share my faith. People are going to be this way anyways. Just let people alone. Won't God just do his thing anyways and, and tell people about himself? Well, I think he will, but he wants to use you and me to do that. He wants to use us to share the gospel with others. He, he put you and me in our family situation on purpose and the place that we're working in purpose, people around us on purpose to let our voice of passion for who Jesus is to be louder than these other things. And I don't mean that in some like angry, yell at you kind of thing. I mean that in what he said before and with great patience and careful instruction, preaching the word. And preaching the word doesn't mean you have to get on the stage and do what we're doing here. It means show people your life of following after Jesus. Let his word be so compelling that people want to hear that and that you're able and willing to share that with others. I know that's a frightening thing. I mean, after all, we claim to know the ultimate truth, that the only way to God is through Jesus and all other paths lead to destruction, are meaningless and fruitless efforts. Scriptures seem to claim that the way to truly be human and understand our purpose is through knowing, understanding, and having a relationship with Jesus. And that does not sit well with a lot of people, most of us including. And so, Are we going to let that voice drown us out? Are we going to be people that are like, oh man, yeah, whatever, but are we going to be disciples of Jesus that make disciples for Jesus? To look at the people that we're close to and not let other voices win out. And that's going to happen. But man, if we're passionate about this, if we know what God has saved us from and to, then we're going to share that with the people close to us. We're going to share that with our friends anyone who would want to listen and see our way of life as we imperfectly try to follow the way of Jesus. So Paul then, after this, he says, but you, okay, all that's true, all that's going to happen, it's going to be hard, but you keep your head in all situations. So what he means to say there, I think, is keep your head up, be (laughs) self-controlled, be sober in the gospel, be clear in the things that you've given your allegiance to, keep your head up, endure that hardship, Endure the hardship. What struggles do you have as you follow after Jesus? I mean, Paul, he, just, he shares that in his whole life. Like when he starts telling people about Jesus, he got persecuted from it and it wasn't great. What, what are those things for you? What are those struggles for you as you follow after Jesus? What hardships have you come into that are hard to see the way out of? Paul says, endure those things. It's worth it. It's, it's easy to give up or to blame God when we don't see yet how he is working in and through these things in our life. And he says, endure it. And do it in community with other disciples of Jesus. And why can we even do that? Because Jesus did that for us. He endured the cross for us. And he says, do the work of an evangelist. What's that mean? He says, evangelize. Tell people about Jesus. Do that work. And honestly, I think this is the heart of discipleship. If we are truly coming under the authority of Jesus' teaching and his way of life, then why wouldn't we want to share that with others? That should just come out naturally even. And you may not be an evangelist, and that's okay. Just try to do the work of one. That's what Paul's saying. It's like, you may not be an evangelist. Just do the work of one. Just share your life. Share the way that you're following Jesus. Share Jesus and his truth with others. Do that work. And he says, discharge all the duties of your ministry. What does that mean? Well, I think we can say it this way. Who has God called you to love and serve? Who is that person in your family, in your workplace, or whatever these hobbies that we have, whatever these groups that we're part of, who's God called you to love and to serve? Fulfill that ministry. Every follower of Jesus has that kind of ministry. Paul's like, fulfill that. It's going to be hard. Endure it. Do the work even if you're not. Keep your head up. Just keep your head up and go for it.
I'm going to invite the band up. And like I said, this is probably a lot, but I love just reading the scripture, going through it. And I know these days we're like disciples of TED Talks and we're supposed to do that 20 minute talk. And I'm going to give you one to three practical things that you can leave the message with today, right? Um, So come back in the next few weeks and you'll probably get that. But today, instead, we're going to just, I'm just going to say, man, I don't really have that other than go back and read 2 Timothy. Go back to this sentence right here and remind ourselves of what's being taught to us. Remind us that, man, we tend to do things our own way, you and me both and others. But we should trust Jesus and make disciples of Jesus. I think if we can, again, if we can leave with that, leave wrestling with God on that in our discipleship, then I think we'll be all right as long as we're wrestling with these things, as long as we're figuring out what is truly discipling us and then what we're discipling others into. Let's pray. Jesus, you were so good. God, uh, you didn't just come down as an awesome teacher, rabbi, cool thing to listen and learn to and, and know about. God, you did do all that. You are that. But Lord, you came. You, you taught us your ways. You are God. You, you died for us and for our sin. The only thing that you, the, the thing that only you could do. You didn't stay dead. You're, you, you've risen again. You were, you were raised today. We're talking to you, Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you that um, you as our creator God have taught us your ways, how to be disciples of you and how to teach that to the world that's looking at us, to, to the people in our workplace that is looking at us, to the friends and family that we run into. God, I pray that as, as we leave this place, that that would be the thing that we think about, that we think about you and, and our discipleship to you, that we think about your ways and how we can practice them as opposed to all these other voices out and fighting for our attention. And Lord, I don't think this means to be so cautious and weary of every single thing that comes our way in our life, but there is something to testing and, and, and seeing what is of and from you and how to then share you with other people. God, I think it's okay that we, we should be part of different groups and social spheres and um, hear from other worldviews and thinkers and things like that. But God, are we letting those things become our gospel or are we firm on the gospel that you've given to us, knowing that you have risen from the dead, reigned victorious over all of this, invited us into your kingdom, and we can share that with others. So Jesus, I pray that we do that. I pray that we wrestle with these things, the things that we love to to follow after that aren't from you. But instead, we would just say, no, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to make disciples of you. Lord, we need you to lead us and guide us in that. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.